Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer and an entrepreneur. My mission, what I stand for is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher. One who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and effectively so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. This mission reflects the core ways of being that I work to develop in teachers. Confidence, clarity, purpose, impact, and connection. Through my mentorship program and my premier offer called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field and beyond, and a dose of personal development. For more information on my programs, please see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 79. So this past weekend, I had an opportunity on Saturday to teach uh, anatomy as part of an ongoing series uh, for a local yoga studio's 200-hour teacher training. And I did an exercise with the teachers uh, that I thought would actually make uh, a good podcast episode. So that's what we're going to be kind of focusing on today. I think this will be kind of a, an interesting process for you. Um, ideally, you might be sitting someplace taking notes, although I actually don't even think you need to do that. I think on some level, it will be good to just kind of let the information wash over your brain. <laughs> um, before I get into that, I want to let you know that yesterday, Sunday, June 7th, I opened the doors to my new membership program called the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. And I've been working on this for a little over a month. It's been something I've been thinking about for a while. And I really hesitated um, because I wasn't sure how it would be received. And with the coronavirus and studios still being closed, uh, it gave me a really perfect opportunity to offer a practice monthly membership. And I wanted to expand it beyond just practice to other wellness resources also. So it will have, or it does have, uh, practices of different lengths recorded, guided meditations. It's got specialty classes of different lengths with different anatomical focuses. Uh, it has a short sequence on myofascial release. It also has a, a section for athletes, a section for children. It's got an expand yourself section, which will uh, involve different exercises you can do on the personal development side. It has live classes and a live class schedule. So it's really um, kind of a one-stop shop for all your yoga needs. And it's something that I geared towards both teachers and practitioners um, because I wanted to be able to meet the needs of both groups. 
So uh, how it works is you sign up on a monthly, you sign up for a monthly membership and every month you'll get new content. And really it'll probably work out to be more than every month because I'll be adding to the portal at least twice a month. So you'll get new recorded content at least twice a month and then you'll get weekly classes at least one a week that are live. And given that, you know, I could have people subscribing from all over the world in different time zones. The live classes, my guess is, will probably be really small um, and, and not as popular as just watching the recorded ones. So in order to check it out and even preview uh, what's offered and subscribe, just go to my website, barebonesyoga.com. And right on the homepage, you'll see the link to the portal and you can preview what's available and subscribe if you'd like. Let me also just share in closing that in the month of June, if you subscribe, you get the best monthly rate, which is $19.99 a month. After June 30th, the monthly subscription rate will go up. So the best rate, best time to enroll is in June. So I really hope you'll check that out, especially if you're a teacher and right now you find that you're spending a lot of time figuring out sequences and kind of going down the rabbit hole of checking out all these different teachers, looking on YouTube, just kind of feeling overwhelmed about where am I going to get this information. If you're listening and you're a practitioner, this will also save you time and give you fresh content on a monthly basis so that you never get bored with your practice. So I want to give you kind of a little bit of a thought um, process here around the theme of today's episode. I want you to think about something that you recently learned. Did you learn it by looking at pictures or maybe you learned it by watching a video or was it something on TV? I, I think about a lot of the things I learned to cook, I learned from watching cooking shows. Did you listen maybe to the process or the steps to get it done? You know, we all learn differently. And today's episode is about learning anatomy in an auditory way. And I actually did this last year when I offered um, a really small product called, which was a meditation on anatomy. And it was a guided practice, a guided meditation focused completely on anatomy. Uh, it was about 30 minutes long. And maybe some of you invested in, in that and experienced what it was like to learn anatomy in an auditory way versus what we usually do, which is learn it by pictures, looking at pictures, images online or images in books. Um, today's podcast is gonna give you a chance to learn in an auditory way. Now, why does this even matter? <laughs> you may be like, is this just a brain exercise? Well, the reason it matters is because one of the best ways to know that you really know something is to just try to explain it to somebody else without the aid of visuals. You know, this can be a real illustration that you own the knowledge, that you have kind of an, in, uh, an unconscious competence around the information. You don't need any assistance from tools. You can just talk about it. So think of something you know well and think of something that you could explain to somebody and make it really understandable without having the benefit of pictures or videos or tools or guides to share with them. This is what all my programs uh, really work you towards, that ability to be able to kind of 
dive with me into the details in your learning. And then when you're done with the program, be able to do things like just explain it in simple terms to someone who doesn't know it. In fact, in my signature program, the Blueprint Learning Program, which teaches teachers anatomy, at the end of every module, I have a video, which I call uh, a check-in module, uh, module check-in. And I just, on the video, I just say to the teacher, watch, you know, I'm just record. it's a recorded video. I take the teacher through a number of things that they should have learned in that module. And I pose to them questions that they then need to see if they can answer. And I love doing that as a way to have teachers demonstrate that they're really retaining what I'm teaching rather than having them take quizzes and all of that stuff. Because keep in mind how you share the anatomy you know isn't gonna be by taking a quiz. It's gonna be through the cues that you use and the cues that you share you're talking about. And so this ability to be able to learn anatomy and just then you know, kind of share it, that is really a great litmus test to see if you're really learning. And I know, you know, over the years, not so much now, but, you know, in the beginning when I was learning anatomy and I would read a book, I could read an entire chapter and you could have asked me anything and I probably wouldn't have retained it. And I'm a good reader. It's just too difficult. There needs to be interactive ways to learn this information because it is so dense. And I think, again, this episode, since we're gonna go over things just auditory, because you're just listening to what I'm sharing, is gonna be a good way for you to, um, to potentially kind of absorb it. So what I want to do here is I wanna share a little bit about this idea that we learn in different ways from this really awesome book I'm reading called um, The Essential Guide, Neuro-Linguistic Programming. Actually, it's the other way. It, it, the literal title is NLP, The Essential Guide to Neuro-Linguistic Programming. And it's written by Tom Hubar, H-O-O-B-Y-A-R. And neuro-linguistic programming is essentially the study of how we learn, how we learn, how we express ourselves, and um, it's a fascinating topic. And, and you know, for yoga teachers in particular, it's really a, an interesting thing to look at because so much of what we oftentimes run up against in our learning and in our expression of what we know has to do with kind of how our brain and our mind is filtering information. Um, I just wanna read you the, the quote inside the book about the definition. NLP is an understanding, not of the brain, but of how the mind using the brain expresses itself in your life and creates what you call your experience. So in regards to this idea of people learning in different ways, I just want to read you this one part. As your thoughts occur, your experience of life is represented in your mind in words, pictures, taste, smell, and feelings. Understanding how this works makes lots of things possible. These phenomena are what we call representational modalities or rep modes. Rep modes is a fancy label for the five senses. Most of us tend to favor one rep mode over the other. Some of us will favor an image. Some favor people's voices. 
that's me, and this is the author, I'm highly auditory. People like me tend to remember something by the way it sounds rather than how it looks. It's better for me to remember a phone number by hearing it than seeing it. But because now I both hear and see the phone number, it's even easier to remember. Other people remember more kinesthetically, which means physical and emotional feelings. The way we behave and express ourselves reflect these kinds of thinking. To give you a little preview, here are some broad generalizations. Auditory thinkers tend to have more melodious voices and tend to talk a lot. Visual thinkers, like my wife, Vicki, again, this is the author speaking, tend to talk more quickly. Kinesthetic thinkers tend to talk more slowly. There's a difference in the way they process too. Kinesthetic thinkers tend to process things more slowly and thoroughly. They tend to, they like to really get a feel for things or have a firm grasp on the situation. They don't get the point until they've wandered all the way around it and have satisfied themselves that they have completely covered the territory. If someone is auditory, they really need to hear what you're saying. These people march to their own drummer and tend to make their own music. People who prefer visual modes of thinking are people who see your vision, picture themselves driving that new car, or talk something through until they can see eye to eye with someone. Someone's rep mode preferences are also evident in their language. So that just gives you an idea of different ways that you could be operating in the world in terms of the way you're absorbing information. And I will also say that as I learn more about NLP, I keep adding to my signature program, the Blueprint Learning Program, to supplement text with video, to supplement video with, with check-in modules, to supplement video and text and check-in modules with live um, coaching calls where the teachers and I get together live on Zoom and we go over the information. And so there's multiple different ways that I'm working with them to ensure that whatever their mode of learning is at a priority level, I'm hitting them where they can most relate. And then additionally, giving them other ways to reinforce what I've shared in that primary mode for them. So today, what I want to do is um, kind of recreate what I did on Saturday with the teachers in my training. And so if you can picture in your mind here a skeleton, which I think, you know, most people can picture a skeleton. I think pretty much anybody can. Um, I want you to keep a visual of a skeleton in mind. And we're going to work down the front of the body. And then we're going to work down the back of the body. And I'm just going to look at my watch here. I think this will probably take us about it's going to be pretty quick. This is not the in-depth version, <laughs> um, but I'm going to walk through it um, probably a little bit faster than um, I did the other day. Now, you may notice that the audio sounds a little different. It's because I'm walking over to my skeleton and I'm going to bring the skeleton over to where I'm recording to the mic so I can look at the skeleton and have that as my visual cue as I go through this with you. Okay, 
So what I would suggest for this is just kind of let your brain uh, absorb the information. Um, try not to get too hung up on um, remembering it at this point. I mean, again, because it's a podcast, you can listen to it multiple times. So just kind of let your mind relax and just see what comes up for you as I go over these muscle names, because some of it's going to sound probably like gobbledygook if you're not familiar with the muscles and other muscles are going to sound really familiar. And my goal here is really just to kind of wash over the information without getting into too much detail so that you can get more familiar with a lot of these words. Okay, so here we go. We're going through the body starting at um, uh, the top of the head or the, the crown. Right, so we're gonna work down from the crown. We're working down the front of the body first. So if we come to, and I'm doing major, major muscles here, major muscles. We come to the front of the chest. We see pectoralis minor underneath pectoralis major. Underneath that, sitting on the inside of the scapula, subscapularis. All of these muscles, including coracobrachialis, which um, is also sitting in the front of the body, connecting the scapula to the ribs, all of those four muscles are internal rotators of the shoulder. Um, one of those muscles, the subscapularis, is part of the rotator cuff. So if you kind of envision on your own body, the front of your uh, chest, the, the front of the chest, I'm now focusing on the right side, you could focus on the left side, and all these muscles sit there. You can also envision them as layered in a way. So when you peel away pec major, you find pec minor, coracobrachialis, and then as you go in, so now I'm kind of, if you listen to the earlier episode on cadaver dissection, if you envision kind of going into the body cavity there, um, taking away the ribs, the inside of the scapula is where the subscapularis sits. So now if you kind of move from that and you go further down the front of the body, you come to a muscle called the serratus anterior. This muscle runs from ribs two through eight and connects to the medial border of the scapula. And its responsibility is to keep the uh, little bit of upward rotation of the scapula and also to keep the scapula kind of centered on the back without letting them rise up too much or drop down too much. Um, if you move from there down the front of the belly, I guess you could say, there's a long muscle down the midline of the belly that connects your sternum to your pubic bone. And that's your rectus abdominis. It keeps you erect, creates that straight line up the front of the body and it's in the abdomen. So abdominis gives you that clue. This is your spinal flexor muscle. So when you do sit-ups, your rectus abdominis is creating that action. Now, if you were to put your hands on your hips, as if you, uh, or another way to visualize it is if you took a big sash and wrapped it around your midline, your middle, you would be generally in the area of your transversus abdominis. And your transversus abdominis is your cinch in muscle. And it generally runs all the way around the body, starting at the top edge of the pelvis, going all the way around the back of the body in the thor thoracolumbar area, sacral area and all the way around to the, to the pubic bone and the navel. And so this muscle upon contraction provides some integrity to the middle of the body. Along with that transversus abdominis, uh, abdominal muscle and the rectus abdominis 
abdominal muscle. Your other two abdominal muscles are your obliques, your internal, and then on top of that, your external. These muscles are responsible for side bending and twisting. Uh, then if you, well, I'll actually hold off on that one until we get to the back of the body. Uh, okay, so now we're down around the pelvis. So if we take um, a look at the lower back, the lumbar spine, we have a muscle running from the lumbar spine in front, right? So that's why I'm including it in the front body muscles in front of the pelvis uh, and inserting on the femur. That's your psoas. That is a hip flexor. Um, if you move, if you, well, if you also stay at the top edge of the pelvis, not necessarily the lumbar spine, but on the ASIS, the anterior superior iliac spine, you've got the top edge of the pelvis, kind of like where your hip point is, and running all the way down to your knee, that's another hip flexor, that's a collaborator with your psoas, that's your rectus femoris, part of your quadriceps. So now that we've talked about rectus femoris, we can introduce the other parts of your quadriceps, your quadriceps has four heads. They all work collectively to straighten your knee, except for rectus femoris also flexes your hip like the psoas. Your other quadriceps, aside from rectus femoris, are vastus lateralis, vastus intermedialis, and vastus medialis, vastus intermedius, sorry. And then as you move down to, well, let's do another one. Um, also from the top edge of the pelvis, which is also where the rec fem resides, you have a muscle that runs down the middle, from the top of your pelvis, down the middle of your thigh, the midline, and lands on your knee, and that is your sartorius. It's the longest muscle in your body. That is a hip flexor and an external rotator. Then if you look on the inner edge of your femur, you have all your adductor muscles. Adductors, adduction, adduction is moving closer to the midline. So the adductors on the inner line of your thighs bring your legs closer together. So if you think of a pose like eagle, you're using your adductor muscles. If you move from there down to your shin, you have a big muscle on the front of your shin called the tibialis, i.e. shin, anterior in the front, tibialis anterior. So that's a, uh, a really general view down to the leg. And then we didn't do the arm. So uh, on your humerus, you have your biceps. And then um, as you work down, you've got various flex, uh, flexor muscles in your, um, I'm sorry, extensor muscles in your forearm. Uh, okay, so Let's now look at the back of the body. All right, so I'm gonna turn the skeleton around. Okay, so I'm gonna turn the skeleton around and think about, visualize now your neck. So you've got a muscle that starts at the base of your skull and runs uh, down each side of your neck and lands on your scapula. And that muscle is called the levator scapula. It lifts up or levitates, I guess you could say, your scapula. You've also got a muscle that sits kind of, not really on top of your collarbone, but sort of next to your collarbone. 
and it's called the supraspinatus, part of your rotator cuff. That muscle is an abductor of your shoulder, moves your arm away from your body to the side, like warrior two. You've also got a muscle that sits on your shoulder itself, like a cap sleeve. That's your deltoid. It has an anterior, middle, and posterior side to it. The anterior deltoid rotates your shoulder in. And if you remember at the beginning, I talked about other internal rotators, your pec major, pec minor, subscapularis, and coracobrachialis. From there, uh, supraspinatus, you have another muscle slightly uh, inferior to that called the infraspinatus, right? So supra, infra, infraspinatus. And that muscle rests in this little cavity area of your scapula itself at the top. That muscle is also part of your rotator cuff. That muscle creates internal, I'm sorry, external rotation. Then you've got um, teres minor. Uh, teres minor runs from your scapula to your humerus as well and is also an external rotator. Let me just make one correction. Supraspinatus is the muscle that sits in that little kind of ledge or cavity in your scapula. That is the abductor. Infraspinatus and teres minor sit beneath, beneath the scapular spine, which is that like spiny part of your scapula. And the infraspinatus covers that whole lower part underneath the spine of the scapula, runs to your humerus. And teres minor is a much thinner muscle. It's just kind of like a straight line and it also connects scapula to humerus. Those two muscles collectively work to externally rotate your shoulder, like an up dog, like in triangle. And they tend to generally be weak, FYI, because we overuse all the front muscles that I talked about before, pec minor, pec major, et cetera, because we internally rotate more than we externally rotate. You also have a teres major running from scapula to humerus, except instead of sitting on the back of the humerus, like teres minor does, it wraps around and sits more on the inside of the humerus. So it becomes an internal rotator of the shoulder, as well as a shoulder extensor muscle, like if you were an airplane or shoulder stand. So now we did serratus anterior already, now, if we go back to the skull, we talked about levator scapula, which runs from the cervical spine to the scapula. Now envision a muscle from the base of your skull, pretty much running all the way down to your lumbar spine and fanning across out to your scapula. It's chunked out into upper, middle, and lower, and it's your trapezius. It's a long, broad, flat, pretty big muscle all on your back. And its upper part elevates your scapula, just like your levator scapula. Its middle part adducts your scapula and its lower part depresses your scapula. If you stay in the middle part of your spine or your thoracic spine, you come to the rhomboids. The rhomboids adduct your scapula too, meaning bringing your scapula closer together. They are collaborators with your middle traps because they both do the same thing. From there, if you look at the spine as a whole, you have muscles running up and down your spine that keep you erect and standing tall. They are the erector spinae. You can chunk out the erector spinae into its three separate muscles, 
I generally teach it just as a rector spinae. Again, a lot of learning anatomy in um, terms of making it understandable and doable is chunking out what's necessary for teachers to know. Knowing erector spinae, where it is and what it does, is way more important in my mind than knowing all the sub detail. Mm, I'm having trouble hearing you. Sorry, that was my iPhone. <laughs> I mean, my uh, Apple Watch. So now we're at the lower back, and that muscle I was going to talk about at the beginning, but I'm, I saved for the, for the uh, posterior aspect of the review, is a muscle that runs from the spine of your pelvis up to your lower rib and also attaches to your lumbar spine. That's called your quadratus lumborum or QL. And your QL muscle is your side bending muscle. So think about when you're in poses like side angle or triangle and you're leaning to the side. That is a muscle that is working to help you tip your spine to the side, which is also called lateral flexion. Now, from there, we can go to the back of the body and we can look at the back of the pelvis. Uh, on the back of the pelvis, generally connecting the area of the sacrum and pelvis to the femur, we've got your external rotators. We've got piriformis, gemelli uh, inferior, gemelli superior, obturator internus and obturator externus. They are all external rotators. Your piriformis, when your hip is flexed beyond 45 degrees, turns into an internal rotator. However, those five muscles together generally are known as external rotators. Uh, so piriformis, two gemelli muscles, superior and inferior, two, um, two obdurators, in, uh, inferior and superior, I believe. And then the last external rotator is quadratus femoris. Then if you work down to the hip itself, you've got gluteus maximus on the back, a hip extensor, its collaborator, the hamstrings, which are also hip extensor muscles and also bend your knee or are responsible for knee flexion. You've got on the medial aspect of your hip, your other glutes, your glute medius and your glute minimus underneath. They are lateral stabilizers and also uh, hip abductors, anterior fibers of um, gluteus medius also internally rotate your hip. Moving down the lateral aspect of the hip, you've got tensor fascia lata below glute med, and you've got that converging into the IT band, the iliotibial band. Um, and the iliotibial band provides stabilization for the knee, as well as working with tensor fascia lata, glute medius, and glute minimus to keep the pelvis level in balancing poses, or even running or walking, things where we're standing on one leg. Um, what else? Uh, oh, when I talked about hamstrings, I talked about it as both a hip extensor and a knee uh, flexor. And keep in mind, your hamstrings all start on your ischial tuberosities, and there are three parts of your hamstrings, uh, semimembranosus, semitendinosus, and biceps femoris, long head and short head. The short head of the biceps femoris doesn't touch your hip, um, but the long head does and works in collaboration with the other heads of the hamstrings, again, all starting on the ischial tuberosities uh, to, extend your hip and flex your 
knee. And then if you move further down the leg, you have the back of your calf, which is your gastrocnemius, your gastrocnemius. Uh, and your gastrocnemius is your plantar flexor muscle, which is pointing your toe, uh, versus your tibialis anterior, which we talked about at the beginning, which is um, your dorsiflexion muscle. In other words, when you pull your toe, toes closer to your knee. <laughs> so that is a general review of the body, major muscles in about 18 minutes. Uh, so that would be, you know, just kind of a let it wash over your brain, let it wash over your, your mind, start to think about the words, getting familiar with the words, you know, see how you feel um, when it comes to learning in an auditory way. Now, um, I want to kind of take this one step further. If you listen to the last episode, it focused on a framework for cues. And a framework, I'm really kind of psyched about frameworks these days for a lot of different things, and especially excited about sharing different frameworks that teachers can use to share cues. One of the most challenging things for your students is that is if you share cues in kind of a unorganized way because it's going to be hard for them to process the information and think about what we just went over from the nlp book which has to do with how people learn when you're teaching anatomy really what you're doing is telling them what you want them to do even if you demo a little bit the majority of the onus is on them to process what they hear and make it come to life so the best way to help them is to be organized around what you're saying um, so that it's not a whole bunch of information and different for every single pose. So a framework for cues can give you a template of sorts that you can use to provide the information that you have in a consistent way when you teach. And it also will be really, really helpful if you're a newer teacher and or if you're just beginning to bring anatomy into your classes. One of the things I've found in working with teachers in both my Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, which is my one-on-one -on -one next step program once you have graduated from the Blueprint Program, one of the challenges I always encounter with teachers there is that as they begin to kind of express the anatomy they know, they have so much information and so much new information that they've learned and so much excitement, right? They're psyched to share what they know. And so it tends to be kind of a washing over their students with so much information. And it's motivated by a really good intention to, to share it and to be sure the students are doing it right, to be sure that they are not hurting themselves and all of that. However, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the student, which is what I talked about last episode. It's just too much for them to process. So the framework I'm gonna share with you today, I talked about last time, and it goes along nicely with what we just did. Think about cueing in a way where you are sharing three action cues and one anatomy-based cue focused on the concentric action of the muscle or of a muscle in the pose. Um, and, and frame it for the student in this way. Action cue, action cue, action cue. And then see if you feel your XYZ muscle 
working here to help you blank. So I'm not saying, you know, you should feel, do you feel, I'm just saying, see if you feel. It's an inquiry uh, question that will wake them up if they're falling asleep and connect them to their body to see if they feel what you are inquiring about. So it's just kind of a natural way to heighten their awareness and also teach them something and also give them an opportunity without you giving your opinion. And the opinion framework is when you say you should be feeling your rectus abdominis contract here because you're flexing your spine. Well, what if someone has had uh, a hysterectomy or an appendectomy or, you know, has lost a lot of weight or has had some kind of gastric surgery, they may not feel a lot around their abdomen because they've had surgery. And so they're going to be hearing you say, you should be feeling your rectus abdominis contract. And they're going to be like in their head thinking, I don't feel that. What's wrong with me? So just a simple reframe. Do you feel? I invite you to tap in and see if you feel, right? You'll figure out a way to say it yourself. So one example of that might be um, if you have people laying on their back and you're going to pull them up into boat pose, using this framework, you could have them when they're on their back and you could say, pull your belly button in towards your spine, lift your legs and upper body off the floor, balance on your sitting bones, reach your arms out in front of you. Now, draw your belly button in a little bit more. See if you feel the contraction of your rectus abdominis. It runs right up the middle of your body. So I'm just inviting them. I've given them three things to do. And then I've sprinkled on top the anatomy cue. So <laughs> I hope this has been helpful for you. This is kind of a fun um, exercise for me to do. It's a good test of my knowledge. Um, so I'd love some feedback from you as to if this was helpful for you. Was this a hard way to learn? Was this an easy way to learn? Was this maybe a fun way to learn, right? No notes, look ma, no notes, right? Um, I want to also just let you know, as I was referring to throughout this episode, referring to my Blueprint Learning Program, if you were thinking like, wow, that sounds like an interesting program that I'd like to learn more about, all you have to do is get on my wait list. And when I open enrollment the next time, uh, you'll be one of the first people to know. So to get on the wait list, just it's right on the homepage of my website, barebonesyoga.com, and you'll see the Blueprint Learning Program waitlist link there, along with the link to the new program I just launched yesterday that I told you about at the start, the Bare Bones Yoga Practice Portal. I'm so excited for people to get in there, to start trying it out, to start practicing with it, to get into the new private Facebook group I set up to support the program, and just start to get people in it, doing it, giving me feedback. I really want it to be a community-based program, meaning that my community can access it, can give me feedback, I can add content that people want, and it really becomes an ongoing wellness resource for you. So that's it for today. I want to thank you so much for your time, for listening. I know there's a lot going on in the world, and I really just just send you support and wellness, um, you know, just during all of what's happening. And uh, however that is affecting you, uh, I hope that, um, that you find strength. And if there's anything I can do, I want you to just reach out to me um, and let me know. 
So take care. I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.